welcome to the Lee Charles The Imperfect Path podcast, brought to you by CMS Women and the CMS Equip Programme in Scotland. CMS Women is an internal initiative bringing female-focused issues to the fore across CMS and beyond. And Equip is the CMS Startups Programme, working with startups which are IP-rich or in the technology sector to support their growth. In this podcast series, we will be speaking to an exciting range of female founders, discussing in particular challenges and obstacles they have encountered on their business journeys and how their reactions to those challenges have helped them build resilience and get to where they are today. I'm Katie Hume, an associate in the CMS Edinburgh corporate team. And I'm Katrina Aldridge, a senior associate in the CMS Edinburgh employment team. In today's episode, we will be speaking to Claire Rampin and Emily Rogers, who will be telling us about their business, Reef. Claire, Emily, welcome to the podcast. It's great that you've made time to speak to us today. Thanks, we're really excited to be here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to kick off, really, I suppose, at the start of the journey, our, our podcast called The Imperfect Path. So let's start at the beginning. Could you tell us just a bit about your business and a bit about what both of you do? Absolutely. So we run a software business called Wreath, as you mentioned, and we are building the digital infrastructure for circular systems. That's a little jargony, so we'll kind of break it down for you. Yeah, essentially, we help businesses adopt safe, compliant, scalable reuse systems. So we look at companies trying to reuse things that have typically been single use and sent to landfill. In terms of what we do, we both do a little bit of everything, operations, finance, HR, strategy, business development. We are wearing all of those hats at the moment. Yeah, we're a relatively small team still. Um, We're four people um, with a wider team of probably about nine total. Um, But yeah, it's just the two of us. So we definitely do a bit of everything, as Emily said. And so you you talked there about this wide range of things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I also know that you've both got quite diverse backgrounds. So what prompted you to start the business in the first place? So we were really frustrated ourselves with the fact that we could buy products we loved. Often, you know, they, they fit our values. They were vegan, they were organic, they were free of, you know, certain parabens, et cetera. Um, but we couldn't buy them in packaging that we were particularly fond of. So everything was single use, often particularly with cosmetics, we noticed that there was lots of different types of materials attached to each other. So you couldn't even put it confidently into a recycling bin. And both Emily and I were very passionate about environmental causes. And so in our sort of spare time, we decided to start emailing and writing to all of the brands that we used to understand why they didn't use reusable packaging, for example. We got some really uh, interesting and very, <laughs> um, I'd say, um, excuse-based responses. But what we um, what we identified was that there was really three themes um, that were coming back to us from these different companies, ranging from small to big. And they were that um, regulation, um, as you are probably familiar as lawyers, was very heavily leaned towards single use or linear systems. So because obviously... Um, at the moment, there's not many circular systems in play. It's actually it means that the regulation is essentially built for that for that linear system. And the, an example of that is with a batch code. So usually you you mark mark a batch code on packaging to make sure that you can do a product recall. But the problem with that is as soon as it's been stamped on it, you can't use that packaging again. So how do you get around that issue? 
The second issue that we had come back to us was that companies were struggling to integrate into their existing systems. So as we all know, companies are really built on digital infrastructure now, whether it be you know, large inventory management systems running on SAP or something else. And the the challenge was that how do you um, how do you start having things come back and actually manage that process um, within your existing processes? And then the third thing was this is obviously quite a big change. It's well, in fact, it's a huge change. Um, and companies were being asked to do it with no data on what. Um, on, on the decisions that they would make because there was no data on on circular um, systems. So for example, with packaging, everything has been optimized for single use. So the, the plastic is as thin as it can be to hold together for one use um, and it's not designed for multiple. So how do you start designing um, packaging that you know can last a certain number of times? And so with all of those challenges, um, both Emily and I worked a lot with data, myself in a commercial capacity and Emily with operations data. And we realized that actually a lot of these challenges were could be solved um, by having a much more comprehensive uh, data tracking system. Um, and so we set out to build Wreath uh, to solve exactly that problem. We describe it as a reuse system for the 21st century. So it's looking at something like the Milkman model, which feels very outdated, and it's bringing it into now using the technology and resources that we have available to us. And we really came at that from that data perspective because of how we used data to optimize different processes in our previous roles. So where have you got to in that development of the data tracking system? We are just about to release our what we are calling our alpha open data standard. Um, an open data standard is basically just a framework where you can lay out some rules in terms of how to communicate things between different systems. The example that really got us on board with this was all about kind of travel data. So how does something like Google Maps exist where you've got different bus companies kind of feeding into it with different timetables? An open data standard would say, if, if you're going to report your bus times, everyone please do them in 24-hour time, for example. Uh, so we've set that up for reusable packaging specifically, and that is kind of the backbone of our own software uh, that we have live and working with a few small kind of challenger brand businesses, and we're using those to build some case studies uh, with the aim to then move on to bigger corporate clients who have the real pollution impact that we're trying to help curb, because that is ultimately what what drives us at the end of the day is trying to divert that waste from landfill. We're going to come on to talk about some of the challenges that you face and you know how you've overcome them. But I thought actually just to take a bit of a, a step back for some listeners who are maybe less familiar with linear systems and circular systems. Could you maybe just explain the difference between those two systems? Sure. So a linear system is the one that we probably are most familiar with today. And it's the idea that you uh, you create or you purchase, um, let's say packaging, for example, uh, you use it and then you dispose of it and we throw it away. Where away is has never really been defined, um, certainly not as clearly as it should be, because away is essentially into landfill or incineration. And yes, there's a big push for recycling, but recycling downgrades materials. There's a whole host of problems around contamination of recycling. And so there's a very it's a growing body of research and um, 
thought leadership around moving towards circular systems. So here in Scotland, for example, we have the excellent organization Zero Waste Scotland, which is funded by the Scottish government. And they have some pretty concerning statistics around, I think, 80% of Scotland's emissions are caused by products that we consume. A lot of times products are made up of packaging and also the product that's ultimately either consumed or in many cases actually wasted because it's thrown away at the end of its life. So circular systems and what Zero Waste Scotland and the Scottish government and um, a lot of like people like us are trying to push for is the idea that nothing ever goes to landfill. So waste is designed out from the beginning. It's either um, at the end of its lifetime, it's able to be disposed of in a way that's actually beneficial to the environment or it's repurposed um, and upcycled, essentially, or um, yeah, making sure that we're not downgrading materials. Okay, well, that's certainly helpful for me. And um, I suppose, again, just to take it to the simplest level, would you then say that what your business is doing is essentially trying to help uh, organisations uh, get their products into that circular economy and help them track the way that their products move in that circular way? Yes, exactly that. So one of the challenges we realized was that um, at the moment that that digital infrastructure doesn't exist. So a company would need to build it themselves, which for many is a blocker. Um, So we set out to build that for multiple companies. And that's been our focus. Is there a particular challenge that you would see as pivotal to getting your business to where it is today? Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, which feels very ironic to say this year, particularly, um, because I feel like 2020 has only given us time to think and reflect. I'd, I'd say the biggest moments for us have been when we've really had to bear down and put faith in ourselves. Uh, we both have a lot of faith in the other person, like I would trust Claire with anything and vice versa. But in order to uh, develop the software, raise money, do business development, we really have to believe in ourselves and that that we can execute this well. And it's not that we're getting signals from around us that say that we can't do that. It's more of kind of what learned behaviors have we been taught, you know, from growing up it's like, we're not your typical picture of a founder. I feel like you think of a founder and you kind of picture Mark Zuckerberg on a stage giving some kind of maybe inspiring speech, maybe not, you know, but it's, it's not us. And being able to overcome that is probably our biggest challenge. And I can think of a couple of moments this year where we've had to make step change decisions of the business. And the only thing holding us back was that confidence. I'd also add to that, that we we set out, so we're a very young business. We were founded in 2019. Um, I really appreciate you calling us successful, but I wouldn't say that we're there yet. <laughs> um, if success is going after what you want to do and believing in it, um, then, then yes. yes. <laughs> uh, but we had some moments where we had to really think about, yes, like as Emily said, you know, what um, what's holding us back? Oftentimes it's ourselves, but also there's a really, really important piece about not biting off more than you can chew in terms of a problem size. So we actually started this business after we discovered all these um, insights from the the research work that we did. We were we thought we could demonstrate an end to end solution. By that I mean like we could sell products that were in reusable packaging and build this system and just do it all better. 
And I think um, a pivotal moment was realizing that that was never going to happen um, and incredibly unrealistic. And I think, and also it wasn't really what we wanted to do either. So I think there's a very important piece around like constantly listening to yourself. What, what gives you energy? What makes you feel exhausted? Because you're never going to be able to pursue an idea that in some sense exhausts you. And um, we were really not interested in the products at all. Um, there's people who are very, very good at that. That's their speciality. We were interested in the system and how that would work. Yeah, it requires a scary amount of self-awareness. And I think we have a great concrete example of that. We were applying for a grant and we came at it with, with one idea. And it took us five or six days to kind of write the whole thing. And then we talked to an advisor of ours and he said well wait a minute why aren't you doing why aren't you applying for money and for this type of project so a completely different angle and we both had this light bulb moment and what took us five or six days took us 24 hours because we were just so much more enthused and excited about the other idea I think it's like if you feel like you're banging your head against the wall stop you probably are yeah, yeah. and as soon as you are acknowledge that and you're honest about it and I'm not suggesting for a moment that you um, you know, that you don't pursue things that you're, that you care about or that you kind of flake on things. It's just that you have to be really honest about whether or not something's working. Um, and we had that moment as soon as we made that switch to just focus on the software, not only were we more energized, but we always say like doors started opening in a way that they were being shut in our faces before. And I thought that was a really, like, I think that's kind of an early indication of product market fit as well. So I would say be so in tune to that, constantly be listening to yourself and the external feedback you're getting. Have you encountered any specific challenges due to being female founders, particularly in the technology sector? Our, our first uh, example of a bad experience, I would say, was when we were trying to get insured. Uh, we went to a firm that was actually recommended to us by a friend who works in the insurance industry. And we were met with, I mean, we went to the meeting in person um, it was relatively friendly before we got there, but then as soon as we were there, in, instead of like being creative about how to ensure what is what what we were trying to ensure at that point was a very different business model, um, instead of being excited about the problem that that posed and seeing it as an opportunity for them to kind of lead in a new space that was emerging, we basically got our qualifications called under question about like why are who are we to run this business? And I think one of them even said, like, what do you girls actually do? <laughs> and oh, we felt awful afterwards, like both angry and sad. <laughs> yeah, that's happened a few times um, in other contexts, including when we were presenting a paper that we'd co-authored um, and we were called girls and questioned. I, but, I, you know, in a way, I don't want to I really hate focusing on that because that happens to you if you're in business as well. It's nothing really to do with you being a founder yeah. per se. I think what we were finding is that it's a very emotional journey mm. and there, there isn't, Claire's very resource focused in a really helpful way in terms of like, if we're struggling with something, she has an encyclopedia of things that can help us manage what we're going through. And there just isn't a lot of resource around your mental health as a founder and burnout is almost like glorified and put on a pedestal yes I get very frustrated about that actually um I remember reading a book called the hard thing about hard things and it's basically 
documenting what it takes. And I would put that in quotation marks because it's what it takes from one person's perspective to build a VC-backed um, exited business that exited, I'm guessing, for over a billion. Um, the person who wrote that book has gone on to found a very successful VC firm. On the one hand, um, I, I totally, no, no one wants to shy away from the hard work that it is and the dedication you have to have. But on the other hand, I just feel like that's an incredibly exclusive picture that gets painted about the kind of person who can do that because you're essentially excluding anyone who has caring responsibilities, who has a disability, who you know is not in a position to drop everything. And I get very frustrated by that continued narrative because I think a lot of it is narrative because it make, that's what makes it so exclusive. People think this isn't for me because that's, I don't ascribe or I don't look like that what's described in that narrative. Well, I'm just hearing there about you know, obviously difficult challenges that you've um, had to deal with and you know, bumps along the road and then this sort of lack of resources piece. So what is it that you, know, you have taken as a driver to sort of help you get beyond those things if there is that lack of resource there? That's where our network has been fantastic. And, you know, for every man that we've come across who's called in to question our credentials, we've had another one who has been lifting us up, investing in us, sharing us with their network in terms of what we're doing and just going above and beyond to support us. And so it's been an incredible journey in that regard too. Um, and I think, yeah, network would be the key suggestion there. Okay. And so do you have particular advice for someone listening who's facing challenges or, or do you think network is the one there? Great question. Network is like, it's always an important base. And Claire was very good in terms of her early career. She knew that she wanted to start a business. She very much was strategic and thoughtful about what position she would get herself into before jumping off the cliff. And I say jumping off the cliff and I'm kind of going to caveat that because you don't have to jump off once. You have to keep jumping off the cliff. Um, for us, it feels like every like four or five months. Um, so I guess general advice is make sure that you really care about what you're doing. Otherwise, there are much easier ways to make money. Um, and this is a really taxing one. And also have an appetite for the self-growth because I, I don't think either of us would take back anything that we've done because of how much we've learned about ourselves and how much, I don't know, that, that just makes your quality of life so much better. So if you have that appetite, then the, see the challenge as an opportunity for you to learn something about yourself instead of just a blocker. Yeah. And also, I, I said network, but I mean, obviously, the most important thing is who you actually co-found the business with if, you're, if you've got co-founder or surround yourself in terms of the day-to-day -day team um we like, would not do this without each no, other <laughs> absolutely not um not to say that solo founding isn't for some people but um we knew that it wasn't for us yes and I think it's really important to get clear on that and it's just that the challenge there is it's really hard to find the right person um at the right time I'd say it's almost like as hard as finding a life partner yes. <laughs> maybe harder because you're asking a lot more of them yeah <laughs> we don't say that we wouldn't start a business with our partner no no <laughs> we would not um and I think that there's we actually we were having a discussion yesterday and we were reflecting on the fact that if we left everything buried that we were feeling 
and weren't as open with our feelings with each other with each other um we would be in a very i don't think we'd be here no i i think we'd be in a very uh different place in terms of our relationship and it would not be working nearly as well and i that's where i think it's so important to um yeah when you're facing those challenges be really emotionally literate is i think critical actually um taking time to sort through how you feel about something and where your head is at is the most important moment you can give yourself Mm -hmm. because if you make a decision without a kind of clear head every decision you make takes time and effort and those are two things that you don't have infinite amounts of so actually I think some people shy away from like pausing to reflect but it's the best thing you can do even though maybe it makes you feel a bit anxious in terms of how you're spending your time it's so worthwhile So looking ahead and thinking about the future, what would you say is keeping you both optimistic about what's to come? You're making us think on our feet here. (laughs) Mm, What's keeping us positive? I think the the vast interest we've seen in environmental issues and trying to solve them in the last, I'd say it's picked up so much even in the last nine months um, since the pandemic. You, my assumption certainly at the beginning of the pandemic was that this would all be benched, put inside, go out the window, go out the window, just not be a focus or a priority. And actually, we've seen the exact opposite. Um, I think it was seven uh, investment in sustainable businesses was up seven times um, according to Crunch, Crunchbase recently. So there's clearly an appetite to solve these problems. I mean, rightly so. I think seeing COVID was and the way it hit the world was an example and a, uh, just a demonstration of how. Um, things well beyond our control can completely upend our systems and we need to be a lot more responsive and thoughtful about the crisis management we're going to have to do if we don't tackle the climate issues that are looming. Um, so yeah, it's I mean it's it can be a bit depressing working in the waste space and trying to divert waste from landfill. On the one hand, we obviously get excited about the work that we do and the potential it has to have an impact. On the other hand, you're constantly being reminded of some pretty depressing statistics. Um, and you're also aware of how slowly it takes for people to change things. So um, to see this in, increased appetite to do that and to do it quickly has been really heartening for me. Well, thank you for giving us a positive note to end on, which I think everyone needs in uh, 2020. Um, so I think basically it just leaves me to thank you so much for sharing your insights and a, a bit about your journey with us. Today, I think um, it's fitted into our theme really well in terms of, you know, the twists and turns um, that female founders come across, you know, whether you have having a linear journey um, or more likely a circular one or um, which I think fits in with your theme. Um, And we really look forward to uh, watching the wreath journey continue. So I think that basically leaves me just to say that if anyone would like to find out more about CMS Women or our Equip programme, in Scotland um, or more widely across the UK, please just get in touch with us at imperfectpath at cms-cmno.com. I look forward to speaking to you next time. <laughs>